Open your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians 13. Thursday, Sue and I took her car down to Les Schwab to get two new tires for the front of the car because it was way past due. So we took her car down to Les Schwab to get two new tires on the front. You know, the back tires are getting close too, but I just didn't want to spend all that money at once. So I just give us the two on the front. So we come back in a couple of hours, and I look to make sure they put them on the front, not the back, you know, and, and sure enough, there's new tires on the front, and there's new tires on the back, too. I said, well, it's a miracle of God, you know. And I went inside, and, and uh, yeah, we're here to get to Buick, and I said, but they put four tires on, not two. Now, you'd think I know what new tires are, but that guy didn't believe me. He had to go outside and look for himself and see, yep, sure enough, they put four tires on, and Somebody else had to do the same thing, and when they finally verified that there was four new tires, and they looked at my paperwork, and it said two new tires, he started clicking on a computer, and I waited, and he said, well, we can put your old tires back on, or we'll give you those other two tires for $46. Yeah, it was going to be 100 and, 170 for two tires, or 206 for, for four tires. I said, 206? He said, 206. Make sure I heard right, you know? I said, yeah, I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we drive home all blessing the Lord for his wonderful gift, and we get home, and the hubcaps are all off about a half an inch. They didn't hammer them down all the way. So I get my big rubber mallet, and I give it a whack, and it goes, pssss. <laughs> oh. So I whacked the other ones down, and I quick pulled it up and got out all my tools and got it jacked up and got the spare on. And about the time I was bolting the spare on, the back tire over here goes, <laughs> And the, the only reason I changed it instead of driving back to Les Schwab was I thought they were closed and I was going to be stuck, you know. And so I called them up, and they were still there, and I said, hey, there's something wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, I'll wait for you. So we go racing back down there on a, on a spare, on the little spare that's half flat, and the other one, the car is kind of leaning like this, you know. And we get there, and I said, I think they put the hubcaps on wrong. There's a notch where it goes up against the valve stem, and I think they didn't do that, and so it's cutting the valve stem. And they pulled one of them off, and sure enough, you could see it wasn't put on right. And this is the manager guy, and, and he, says, he says, can we get new valve stems on all these tires and put the hubcaps on right? <laughs> you know? I said, yes. Uh, it's easy to love somebody that gives you two new tires for free. Not so easy to love them when they mess up every one of them. But what we learn and what we're learning about love from God's truth is, is that love is not an emotion that wells up because somebody does something nice. Love is an action that we choose to take. And that was one of God's little opportunities for me to choose to take the kind of action we want to learn about today from 1 Corinthians 13. And a few weeks ago when we started this series, I gave you a card like the one that should be in your bulletin today. We put it in there again in case you weren't here and didn't get one because we want to encourage you to be reading this daily and working on memorizing it. So we're going to read this passage together. Remember, here I've got it on the screen, or you can look at it on your card, but just remember to pause at each punctuation mark so we can stay together. Here we go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face." Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We're going to look at just the first two words in the definitions, uh, the, the list of, of, of characteristics of love. And those first two words are long-suffering, or suffers long in the New King James and in the King James, and is kind. And I'm going to use the word patience for the word suffers long, because it's, our more common, it's the more common word that we use. But you'll understand when we talk about the literal definition of the Greek word that's used, it literally means to have a long temper, not a short temper. To have a long, or the, the other word that could be used is to have a long passion, not a short passion. The spiritual definition that I have come up with is this, unmerited commitment. When we think of patience, we think of how long we will put up with or work with or carry on with someone or something. And of course, this passage is talking about people, not things. In fact, this word, this word for having a long temper or a long patience uh, is used almost exclusively in the New Testament toward people, not toward circumstances or things. And so we're talking about patience with people because we're talking about the subject of love. And the question that we have to ask today is how long is your commitment to people. Patience means having a long fuse, not a short fuse. John MacArthur put it this way, love's patience 
is the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person over and over and yet not be upset or angry. That's, I would call that somewhat the negative aspect of patience. There is a, a more positive aspect that, for instance, a parent sees toward a child. When we ask the question, how many times will you teach your children to learn to tie their shoes? Right up until the day you buy Velcro shoes. Somehow it's easier for us to be long of temper with the child who needs to learn to tie their shoes than it does with the adult who needs to learn to speak differently or whatever it is. The question is, how long is your commitment to people? One of the great examples of of this unmerited commitment, and the, the reason I'm using the term unmerited commitment, we'll come back to at the end here, but... God's love, as you'll see, is an unmerited kind of love. We have not done anything to earn or deserve our salvation. And that kind of love is the kind of we're talking about. It's easy to be patient with people who are really nice. It's easy to be patient when they're going to give you two new tires. Yeah, hey, well, yeah, I'll just wait right here while you finish that paperwork. It's not so easy to be patient when there's people coming to your house in 20 minutes and all your tires are going flat. It's easy to, you know, I, I told our Bible study group there Thursday night, which is when this happened, I, I, I can picture some, some relatives that I know, not the ones that are sitting here, going down to that place and just... How long is your commitment to people? Is it merited or unmerited? Listen to, listen to this great example. You know this example, but you need to think about it in terms of patience. But he, Peter, said to him, Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is at the Last Supper, and Peter says, I'm your man, Lord. I'm going the distance. And of course, Jesus looked right at him and said, no, you're not going the distance. (laughs) That isn't going to happen. He said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day. In other words, between now and 12 hours from now, um, you will deny me three times. Then after about an hour had passed, this is later in the story, we're picking it up when it happened. Another affirmed saying, surely this fellow, Peter, was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was speaking, while the words are going out of his mouth, The rooster crowed, and in Luke's account, this comes next, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you just imagine you're Peter for a minute? And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I don't know what your mental image of that scene has been, but it's not like Peter's out in the back 40 and Jesus is in a building. Peter is like out in the foyer where where the fellows are sitting, and Jesus is in here, and when Jesus heard Peter deny him. He turns and looks. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Do you understand the Lord had told him that just a a couple of hours or so before? It wasn't that long. And he forgot it. He said, oh no, I'll never do that. And he remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. How long was the commitment of Jesus 
to Peter? And was it merited or unmerited commitment? So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now this is after the resurrection. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Again, can you imagine you're Peter? You know this conversation's coming. <laughs> the resurrection has happened, all this great stuff, but you and Jesus haven't squared things up yet. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say to him? You liar. You piece of trash. You betrayed me at my worst moment. You let me down. You're out of here. Is that how he acted? Have you ever known people that acted that way? Have you ever been one of those people? Have you ever thought that way? Hey, we all have. He said, then get about my business. Get back to it, Peter. Jesus essentially said, look, Peter, I haven't given up on you. You still have a place in my kingdom. You still have some work for me to do. The, the commitment of Jesus to Peter was long and unmerited. It wasn't because Peter was such a great guy. It was because God knew that he was going to do something in Peter and, and make him into a great guy. And so he, he kept, kept working and kept hanging in there. He was committed in the long term. You know how this works out today? It works out this way. After a period of time of you or someone taking abuse... You say, that's it. There's the line in the sand. I've had enough. I can't take any more. True statements. But we're not talking about your resource of patience. We'll talk about the resource in a minute. But the question you have to ask today is this. Does your patience have limits? Now, as we get on down through this list, God is also going to talk to us about confronting sin. And that needs to be done. In no way am I saying you should never confront sin. You should never discipline your children. I absolutely believe in that. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but... What God is telling us here today is we never give up on people. We have a long commitment to people. Patience. The other word that we're going to consider today, and I'm considering these two words together once we get past this part of the sermon because they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And, and if you look at this list and, and meditate on it, you'll see that there's kind of some, seems to be kind of some groups. Patience is my attitude and action of being long, uh, long in my commitment to people. Kindness is what I'm going to do while that time is transpiring. The literal definition of kindness is very simple. It's, it's good to do something good, something of virtue, something that is, that is good. Interestingly, the verb form of this word is only used here in the New Testament. The rest of the time, it's a noun. We'll look at this later, but all these words are action words here. The spiritual definition that I've coined is this, unmerited good. 
Again, as we see about God's goodness, we understand that he doesn't do good to us because he has to, because we deserve it. He does good because it is the right thing to do. What is the difficulty of patience and kindness? Patience and kindness, first of all, are counter-cultural. Counter-cultural. Oh, and before we do that, excuse me, I, I knew I was skipping something. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Turn with me to Luke 10. I, I knew I had something planned here to help you define a kindness. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Again, this is a story you know, but we need to apply it to this, this characteristic of love. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So when he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Now, he wasn't saying that he would earn salvation. The nature of the commandments is this. If you give your heart wholly to God, you will love your neighbor as yourself. It is the giving of yourself to God, the belief in God that saves you. It is the loving your neighbor that is evidence that you are truly saved. Verse 29, but he, wanting to justify himself. In other words, he wasn't interested in truly becoming a believer. He just wanted to feel good about himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. He wounded him, he departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By a priest, he's talking about a Jewish priest. Likewise a Levite, and again a religious man of the Jews. A Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked... And he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, a person who would not normally do good to a Jewish person because of the hatred between their cultures, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And when he had sat him on his own animal, he brought him to an inn, and they took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, or two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, then I will come again and repay you. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor, was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the man said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Unmerited good. Do you only do good when people deserve it? Or do you do good when it is what is needed? What is, when it is the right thing to do? Do you only do good to those who you believe will have the ability to pay you back? This is the good that is developed in the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you heard of that book? It's from an older generation a little bit. For those of you that are younger, it's written by a guy named Dale Carnegie. And Dale Carnegie said this, when you go into an important businessman, somebody like Glenn, and you're going to sell him something, you should look around the room and see what's there. If there's a picture of his family, start talking about his family. 
If there is a uh, Mariners ball, say, oh, you're a Mariners fan? Yeah, I love the Mariners. You talk about, you do all this stuff because you love Glenn? No, because when you get around to saying, now, Glenn, wouldn't you like to buy my product? Glenn is likely to say, yeah, because you're such a nice guy. That is a human tool of manipulation that is not love. And the truth is, many of us aren't selling a literal product, but what we're selling is ourselves, and we think, now, if this person will like me, I'm going to be nice to him. Or at work, now, I'm going to be nice to this guy because he's got the power to promote me. Or this gal. And that is not kindness. That is not even godly in any shape or form. The kindness we're talking about here today is unmerited good. Doing good because it is the right thing to do. Now, what's the difficulty of patience and kindness? The first difficulty is this. It's countercultural. John MacArthur did some research on the times, and this is what he came up with, with the Greek culture in which the Corinthians lived. In the Greek world, self-sacrificing love and non-avenging patience were considered weaknesses unworthy of the noble man or woman. Aristotle, for example, taught that the great Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate insult or injury and to strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense. Greek culture? (laughs) American culture? For sure, that is the gang culture. You want to know what drives the gangs that shoot people, drive by and shoot rival members of other gangs, it's when they are disrespected. You disrespected me. You dissed me. I'm going to get you. There's no toleration. There's no forgiveness. There's no care. and There's no concern unless it's merited. If you've been nice to me, I'll be nice to you. I have a friend that's not a Christian and a fellow he used to hang out with came to the end of the line for this guy. He said, that fella, I'm done with him. So now he sits with me at McDonald's. (laughs) That's it. They're done. No forgiveness, no restoration. Us good Christians are more subtle about how we do that. We don't say it out loud, that'd be ungodly. But maybe we do it. Kindness, unmerited good. There's another problem, there's another challenge with patience and kindness. And that's this, they are counterintuitive. The word intuitive means what you naturally think without really thinking. In other words, just kind of a response and a reaction to things. And these kinds of behaviors are counterintuitive. It's not how we normally think. Here's the way we normally think. Peter came, came to Jesus and said, Lord, how how often shall I forgive my brother? How, How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. See, Peter thought he's going to be really gracious and really a big man and say, now, you know, if a guy offends me, if he sins against me, I'll forgive him seven times. Is that, that's pretty good, right, Jesus? And you know what Jesus answered back. He answered back and said, up to 70 times 7. Now, unless you're one of those people who will actually keep count, 
up to 490. I don't think that was Jesus' intent, was it? The intent was to say, don't count. Don't count. Just keep forgiving. Our natural way of thinking, like Peter's, is that patience has a limit. And the limit we set is what we feel like tolerating. We all know people that we would look at and say, boy, they just are walked on all the time, and, and they've set a higher limit for us. We've got a lower limit, you know. Maybe we need to confront. Maybe there are some other things that need to be done. But the question is, do you set a limit? Because naturally, we tend to not want to take too much. Here's what God says. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind That's the same word in 1 Corinthians 13. He is kind to who? The unthankful and the evil. Lend and hope for nothing in return. I I had a friend, haven't seen him for a number of years, but he, he said, when I loan money, I make sure it's money I can afford not to get back. He loaned several thousand dollars to our church. And he told me, he said, I never loan money unless I can afford to lose it. Now, he couldn't afford it in the same way you're thinking of a rich man, but he he had decided in his mind to do what that verse says. Kindness, unmerited good. That is not the way we naturally think. God calls us to a super high standard of patience and kindness, but the good news is that there's power that comes with the call of God. The ability to live out God's kind of patience and kindness comes from the new spiritual life that's implanted when we accept Christ as our Savior. The spiritual life from God is the first part of this power, and it's talked about here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are struggling to be patient and kind like God says, the starting point is for you to realize, you know what? I don't have to be impatient. Now, I know that sounds awfully simplistic, but the truth of Romans 6 is this. Your sin nature was crucified on the cross with Christ. It cannot control you. But what Romans 6 also goes on to say is you need to start living as though that is true because it is true. You need to say, I don't have to be impatient. I can wait. I can just sit here and wait and see how this works out. I don't have to go, Have you ever stopped and just thought about acting different? We get in habits. Our sin nature has been crucified, but we have habits of sin. And they, you know, we 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 have a habit of reacting and responding to certain things certain ways. And so we think it's automatic, but it's not. It's a learned response. And we can stop and say, wait a minute, I don't have to act that way. I can act differently because I am a new creation in Christ. If you are in Christ, is Christ locked into acting like you act? Well, of course not. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. You can choose to act differently. The fruit of the Spirit talks about this. This is what God is trying to build in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. 
The Holy Spirit is at work in your life trying to produce these things. Ephesians 1.19 talks about the power that's in us and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Would you just think about that last phrase in particular? The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How much power does it take to raise somebody from the dead? By my reckoning, it must take a lot because nobody I know has been able to do it. Nobody I know has been able to keep people alive past God's appointed day. It takes tremendous power. And the first verse says that power is at work in you. If you say, that's all I can take, you need to realize you are making a decision based on your own strength and not reckoning in that power right there. God's power is at work in you. You can do more than you think you can. Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do more than you think or ask. Have you asked God to help you be patient? You may have. If you ask that, you know what's going to happen, right? God's going to send some some training exercises along your way. It's a self-learning curriculum he has. But if you think you're here, and you know, I think I could be over here with patience. Do you know what Ephesians 3.20 says? He says, no way. God can do this much way over here. You could be that mature, calm, patient, kind person that you look up to. Because it's God that's at work in you. It's God. It's the creator of the universe at work in you. This is not a meager power, not a small power. It's that great power. But you've got to take it seriously. You've got to say, okay, God, I will cooperate. There is no limit. So the power of patience and kindness, first of all, comes from the spiritual life of God that he puts in us. It also comes from the sovereign control of God. One of the greatest examples of of godly patience and kindness is Joseph in the Old Testament. Do you remember Joseph? He was sold into slavery after being tossed in a pit and left to die. His brothers, his own brothers, were jealous of him, They said, here's a pit, let's toss him in there and and then let's go back and sit down and see what will happen. Rude, mean, terrible. And so some slave traders came by and they said, hey, we can make some money and get rid of him at the same time. So they sold him. So he's sold into slavery. He goes to a foreign country where he doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know the culture and he's a slave. And so what does he do? He serves well as a slave, and he's promoted as a slave. He's promoted all the way up to where he's, he's in charge of a man's house, and that woman lusts on him and says, come, let's have sex. And he says, no, it's wrong. He's virtuous. And what happens? He gets thrown into jail. And what does he do? He serves well again, and he, and he lives for the Lord again. And pretty soon he's promoted out of there, and, 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 and he gets back to having this tremendous position over the whole nation, and God gives him a vision of, of how to collect up grain and save the nation from famine. 
And in the end, what happens is those same brothers who sold him into slavery, they have to come begging for grain. Now, they don't know it's Joseph. They don't know it's him. They just think they're going to this high-ranking Egyptian official to buy grain because they're hungry. Would you imagine you're Joseph? And here comes your brothers. And they would at least bow, if not bow and scrape, because you have the power to kill them because you're a high-ranking official. And so here they come in. They're going, oh, boy, I hope this guy likes us, and I hope he sells us grain. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death. And Joseph looks at him, and he recognizes him. Now imagine you're Joseph. Is your patience long? Is your kindness or goodness unmerited? Or is it payback time? Look what... I want you to understand why Joseph was gracious. That's so important. It's not just because he wanted to get his family back. Look at this. But as for you, you meant evil against me. And they did. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about, even as it is this day, to save many people alive. Joseph saw the bigger picture. He said, God's at work here. And no matter what I've been through, God's at work. And so I don't, have to, I don't have to pay back. I don't have to avenge myself. I don't have to live in bitterness because God's at work and he's doing something incredible. And I want to be part of what God's doing. How big is your vision when it comes to things that cause you to, to have to have long patience? I mean, some of the simplest things might be some of the biggest things God wants to use in your life. You're gonna, a lot of you are going to go out to eat today. You're going to go to a restaurant, and the service is either going to be good or bad. And all, if, if all you can think about is, man, it's sure taking them a long time today, but I'd like to give that person a piece of my mind. If that's all you can think about, your vision is about this big. Because God is at work. But if all you can think about is yourself, nothing will happen. Because if that food server comes in here and sees you, they're going to say, I don't want to be part of that. Man, and you know what? Those are some of the toughest battles we fight because it's, it's, it's a consistent needing to put ourselves aside, put ourselves aside, be patient. Oh, man, that's tough. My wife wasn't here, so I went to McDonald's this morning for breakfast. <laughs> Took me 10 minutes to get food at McDonald's. And there was not a long line. <laughs> Fast food. What part of that don't you understand? I got to get to church. I got to be the worship team practice. Come on. <sighs> I know God's at work at McDonald's. No, I, I, I'm having an ongoing witnessing conversation with a fellow that I met there. And he's there. And he's going to see me if I act selfish. God's working all around you. The problem is, all you can see is yourself and your own stuff. And so you act selfish and you act unkind and you're impatient. And, and the people around you will say, absolutely, that's right. That's, you know, that's the culture. That's the problem. I'm telling you, if you're going to swim upstream, it's going to be a tough swim. But you've got to say no to yourself. 
Joseph never stopped believing in the benevolent control of a loving God. I mean, what he went through, none of you have gone through anything as much as he did. And he just kept on believing in God and trusting God. Our love is empowered by the new life in Christ, by the protection of God, and also by the forgiveness of God. Listen to this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. This is an illustration to go with the sermon. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with all of his servants. He was buying them off, or paying them off, or they're paying him off. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I can't tell you exactly how much that is, except to say it's a fortune. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. In other words, whatever I can get for you, you worthless bum, that's what I'm going to get and pay off part of this debt. That's the way people did things back then. Then the servant therefore fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Just like you would. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave the debt. But that servant, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who, who owed him 100 days' wages compared with a fortune. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat. He said, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and he begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Sound familiar? And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Here's the thing you need to come to grips with, Christian. Your heavenly father has forgiven you more then you will ever suffer at the hands of human beings. And he says, I want you to act like me. And if you appreciate your salvation, if you are thankful to be forgiven by God, then you should turn around and look at those who owe you, people who have really wronged you. There are real wrongs that get done. And say, you know what? Boy, I know how it feels to be forgiven, and it's a great thing, and so I'm going to forgive this person because God has forgiven me. I am going to be long in my commitment to them. I'm not going to cut them off. I'm going to be long in doing good to them. This parable helps us understand this verse. Be kind, that's our word, to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Are you a grateful, forgiven debtor or a self-centered creditor?
If you will meditate on the forgiveness of God, you will get power from that forgiveness that he has extended your way. Well, the last thing that I want to talk about in terms of patience and kindness today is this. What are some specific actions that you might consider in terms of patience and kindness? What are the actions? First of all, the pursuit of patience and kindness. And this verse talks about that pursuit Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. All of the words in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, are verbs. They are action words. And the reason is this. We are tempted to think love is a condition that exists or it pops up or it wells up. But no, God says love is a choice of action that you must make. They're all verbs, and it goes right in line with what he says in the rest of the New Testament about our sanctification or our growth in Christ. He says, put on these things. When you get up out of your pew, you are going to start having choices to make about putting on the clothing of patience and kindness. And I'm going to take the time to give you some specific actions to put on. Now, I'm not going to fault any of you who have to leave right away, but here's the question I want to ask. Are you patient enough to stick around and meet some people and care for some people after church? Or are you on a mission to be the first in line at Chihuahuas? <laughs> Jeff says he's on a mission. <laughs> Can you put yourself aside enough to actively say, again, not to just automatically respond, oh, church is over, I'm hungry, i got to go. Say, wait a minute, church isn't over. The preaching just got done, thank God. But now it's time to practice. I get to practice what I've just heard preached. I get to care for some people. Oh, man, there's that guy. Oh, there's that gal. Oh, Lord, I can't stand. Wait a minute. How long is God's commitment to you? I want to challenge you to make this very, very practical. Sometimes we think on such high terms about spirituality. We're thinking about being patient with the the great ordeal of only making $50,000 a year. Oh, God, when will you deliver me from this terrible job I have? And we're not thinking about being patient with the person sitting next to us in the pew. And we're not thinking about Leanna, who's graduated from high school, and going over and saying, good job, Leanna. She was baptized a couple weeks ago, that Leanna. Say, God bless you as you move on. What are you planning to do? And, And saying, I'm not here because I love cake. I'm here because I love people. Oh, it's, it's so easy for us just to run on that autopilot, that intuition of self-centeredness. And I'm not saying, again, I, I'm not, if you've got somewhere you have to be, the Lord knows, the Lord bless you. But I want to challenge you to think differently. To say, I am going to be committed to these people right here. I'm going to be good or kind to these people right here. The pursuit of patience and kindness, it is a pursuit it is something we have to put on. Second Peter says it this way, but also for all this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, 
and, and he goes on this list to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love, which includes both patience and kindness. Colossians, excuse me, the pursuit. We've got to pursue these things. And then the practice, the practice. Romans 12 gives us some very specific ideas for, for living this out as we are pursuing it day by day. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Deacon Chuck stood up and said, here's a prayer list of all the people in the church. Is your commitment to people long enough to pray for everybody who's sitting in the pew? Is your commitment long enough to say, okay, God, boy, it's going to take me forever to pray for all those people. That's okay. And for some of them who you know perhaps are failing in one way or another, are you going to keep praying for them? Prayer is such a simple thing that we can do to care for one another. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. I, I heard a story last night that just... I couldn't believe it, about some people in a church somewhere, and they encountered this woman after church, and she had a calamity, and these people went way out of their way and helped this woman and caused the restoration of her family by distributing to the needs of the saints, by giving to those who are in need. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This goes along with what Jesus said about loving your enemies. Do you say good things about those who say bad things about you? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Can you, can you come to the welcome room and hear somebody talk about some great thing like getting two tires for free and honestly go, good for you? Or do you have to go, how come that guy gets all the breaks? Now, it's not about me. I'm thinking in general, can you honestly rejoice? Can you go say, good for you, Leanna. You graduated from high school. You go, girl. Great job. Or is there something in you that has to kind of balance and equalize? No, he just says, rejoice with those that rejoice. Much harder is to sit and weep with those that are weeping. You know? I heard a pastor say one time, you should leave a church before five years because after five years, people start telling you all their problems. I've never known that to be true. <laughs> but you know, sometimes that's the truth, isn't it? We don't want to talk to people because we really don't want to hear their problem. Can you be committed enough to people and have kindness enough to say, oh, God, help me? Uh, I end with this quote from a man of a generation ago who said this, the greatest thing a man can do for his heavenly father is to be kind to some of his other children. Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, we all have our own agenda. It's hard to lay that aside. It's hard to really commit ourselves to other people, but it's possible in you, and I ask you to help us to do that. I ask you to help us to be long in our commitment to one another and, and, and free in doing good for one another. May we do it for you.
I pray in Christ's name, amen.